Hello and welcome back to the Relationships on Reddit podcast, available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and of course, YouTube. I'm your host, Alexander Grace, and wherever you are, whether you're taking a walk through nature, you're doing some chores around the house, maybe you're driving somewhere, maybe you're playing Tetris or some other video game, and you're just listening to me in the background, I just want to say welcome. We've got three stories today. Our first story is of a guy whose girlfriend is into really hardcore sex and he's worried that he just can't keep up with her or that by engaging her in her kinks, he's being disrespectful. Our second story is a man who's wondering if he's going to be an asshole if he divorces a woman over the fact that she's so bad at raising her daughter. And our third story is an email I got from a fan of the podcast from a guy who's lonely, uh, he's frustrated, is a at his own sexuality, and he wants some advice on how to meet girls. So, let's jump into the first story with the title, Cute Girlfriend Wants Hardcore Sex. Here we go. I'm having this issue. I, a male, 23, have this amazing girlfriend, female, 24, for nearly four years now. We click in nearly every way. She's my whole world. I'd almost go as far as to say I'm obsessed with her too, but it's not a one-way relationship. She adores the crap out of me, And we've been building this wonderful life together and I couldn't be happier. I'd say there's nothing wrong. She, on the other hand, is hypersexual due to bipolar and I can't always keep up with her. She has a healthy sexual relationship with herself and she's good about talking to me when she's feeling frustrated, but there are desires of hers that I can't help with. She wants to try pretty much anything you can think of. She's interested in BDSM and consensual slash non-consensual and she wants to do lots of dirty, kinky things. And I like that stuff. I'll watch it in pornography. I've been able to be rough with previous partners, as and I can, like, spank her and pull her hair a little bit, and be rough, typically only after I've had a little bit to drink to loosen up. But I just cannot see myself doing these things to her. She's different. She's like my small little princess who needs to be kept safe. <clears throat> She's so sweet and cute and small, that I just can't hurt her, even if she asks for it. And like I said before, I've been able to do it before. I don't know what's wrong with me. How can I sexually satisfy the woman of my dreams without feeling like I've been a horrible person? Nice. I'm, I'm glad that I, I'm leading off with this story. It feels like um, I'm getting back to my roots. You know, it's good to start with a sex story because as I've mentioned before, I really like talking about sex. I think sex is one of the most important aspects of the human experience it can bring us so much pleasure when it's going well and it can bring us so much misery when it's going badly or if we don't have any sex in our life at all and i just always feel like our culture does not do enough to talk about it even the people who send me emails and they want my advice i don't think i've had a single email sent to me from somebody seeking advice about their sex life and i'm thinking oh surely people have got problems in the bedroom but i don't think people are comfortable talking about it and that's basically it. So they go to the internet, to the, the sex subreddit, and they post questions like this. And my hope is that by talking about sex and talking about the problems to do with sex, we can do a little bit more education and that's going to remove some of the, the pain and suffering that can be caused by a bad sex life. Because misinformation creates suffering. So while you're listening to a story like this and my analysis, if you've ever been in a case similar to this, then uh, hopefully you can learn something. How many people have been in a situation like this? I'm not sure. This might be quite a unique uh, problem. And there's probably some people looking at this guy thinking, this doesn't seem like a problem to me. This doesn't seem like a 
a big issue. You've got a really sexual girlfriend who who likes it rough. Oh dear, <laughs> what a poor poor man. What a what a tough issue you have. <laughs> First world problems. But I chose this story because when I read it, I thought that it hits on some important points, and there's some aspects to his discomfort that I think might be uh, quite widespread in our culture, because quite a lot of men are genuinely uncomfortable being rough with women in the bedroom. And that's what I wanted to to look at. So that's what the, the bulk of this is going to be about. But before we get to that, I just want to talk about the fact that he mentioned that she has bipolar disorder. Because um, if you've got somebody with mental health issues, you can often see those issues spill over into the bedroom and into the way that they like to have sex. So before I continue, I just want to put a disclaimer. I'm in no way shaming people who are into BDSM. Do, do not misinterpret what I'm about to say as as me saying that there's anything wrong with people doing that. Absolutely not. But I do think that it's one of those truths that we have to admit that even though I don't want anybody to be discriminated against in a legal or even a social sense because of what they're into with their kinks and fetishes, but psychologically, we have to acknowledge that if you like being beaten red, you know, and humiliated in really rough, crazy ways, that's not entirely conventional. You know, that doesn't, it, it, it's not normal. You know, it doesn't make you bad as a person. Uh, even if you were raised really, really well, you had fantastic parents and things went well in your childhood. Our culture is pretty weird with regards to sex. You know, we're very advanced in some areas, but with regards to sex, we've got a long way to go. And a lot of people grow up internalizing messages about power that are, are kind of go against the grain. Because I think most people understand that inside their psyche, there is a desire for power, but they can feel very ashamed of that. And also some people desire to be powerless because, you know, they've got their own experience to do with what that's like and that taboo. And in addition, there's just a huge shame about liking sex, enjoying sex, being greedy for sex. And BDSM is a really fantastic community. I'm a big fan of what they do because they explore all of this. And, uh, you know, I wish, you know, obviously it has to come with whips and leather and, and all stuff that, you know, personally I find a little bit strange. But, you know, if you're into it, that's that's absolutely fine. But just the openness with which they're able to explore sex, you know, with healthy boundaries, full consent, communication, no shame, no judgment. I'm a big fan. I think the BDSM community has a lot to teach everybody in our society about sex. So if you're into that kind of stuff, I, I really do encourage you to to follow that. Even though I'm saying I, I think there's an indicator that if you're you know into getting beaten or if you're into really like beating other people um, in a really intense way, it, it does indicate that maybe something has gone slightly haywire. It's not totally like normal. But I do think that sex, with regards to any taboos, shames, or, or hang-ups you have about power or sexual pleasure, I think exploring them through sex is very healthy. I think it's possibly the healthiest way to deal with it. As I've mentioned many times before, sexuality and shame are extremely linked, and it's the process of releasing shame during sex that can make sex so pleasurable. And I think that sex may well be the healthiest way that we have to express shame, to turn a negative into a positive. And then what used to be a source of, of depression and fear and shame 
a negative, that can be turned into a positive and it becomes empowering. It becomes beautiful. So BDSM's great. It's consensual. It doesn't hurt anybody, at least not in a way that they don't want to be, uh, you know, hurt. But even though it is a, how can we say this, like a normal way of expressing psychological shame and difficulties, would I say that completely normal, extremely well-adjusted people, people who are perfectly sane are going to be into that? You know, probably not. Imagine if we did have the perfect parents who gave a child the perfect childhood and every single one of their emotional needs was met growing up. Would that person be into BDSM? You know, I doubt it. But the kind of people like that, that's extremely rare. That's like a billionth of a percent of the population anyway. Everybody is a little bit weird and fucked up in their own way. And I think that a lot of, it's not really helpful to to look at BDSM and think, oh, those are the weird people, whereas us who are into vanilla sex, that's normal. I think that it could well be the other way, that almost everybody's into some kind of crazy kink. It's just the degree to which somebody's in touch with their sexuality, and that the BDSM people might well be the healthiest way of, you know, amongst us. I don't really know. It's very difficult. It's difficult to know because not enough people talk about sex, so to what degree people actually have these fantasies or they keep them repressed, I'm not entirely sure. But with regards to this woman, he wonders or he speculates that her BDSM fantasies are linked to her mental health, you know, to something that's gone gone wrong with her. He says uh, bipolar disorder. And I would probably confirm that. I would say probably that is the case. And that might well be the reason why he is uncomfortable with the whole thing. He doesn't say so specifically, but if he understands, at least on a subconscious level, that her sex sexual expression is linked to her bipolar and her mental health issues he might feel like her sexual expression isn't healthy and if that's the case he's not totally wrong because people do use sex in unhealthy ways that's not unheard of think about promiscuous and slutty you know teenage girls who are out every single night with a different man and they're trying to get back at dad or they're they're trying to find love you know in the stranger's arms People, in that instance, you're seeing somebody acting rebellious out of a psychological dysfunction and they're using sex as their means of doing it. So people can use sex in the wrong way. Sex isn't guaranteed to always be healthy. There are plenty of ways to misuse sex. So if he's nervous in some way that that's what these kinks are with regards to her, he's quite right to be a little bit weary in participating without conversation of just giving her what she wants because he might then be being codependent in an avoidance, in an addiction, in some kind of a psychological dysfunction. Or here's the other possibility is maybe it's not that at all. Maybe this doesn't have to do with the mental health, but this still could be behind his reluctance because he thinks that it is. And if that's what his belief is, then his emotions and his fears are just in line with his beliefs. Now, having said all of that, I don't, actually think it's the bipolar or the mental health stuff that's going to be behind this particular woman's kinks. I think that there's something else at play here. And he gave us a clue as to why she might be into all of this rough stuff when he said that he can't imagine hurting her. The way that he described her was in very glowing terms. You know, she's tiny, uh, his little princess. And when you've got sort of sweet looking, cute girls like this, Imagine what their experience growing up in life has been, because the message and the feedback that they would have been getting from everybody around them 
is that they are this delicate little princess who needs to be, you know, cushioned against the rough parts of the world. They need to be treated extremely delicately. And that can get extremely frustrating. I've known girls who'd actually got upset and angry when they were told that they're cute. At a certain point, they just get sick of it. And some girls, their outside appearance doesn't match their inside appearance. My God, men need to learn this in particular because we can be very simplistic about these things. We can see a beautiful girl who's obviously gorgeous on the outside and imagine, oh, any soul that is existing in such a beautiful body must also be a beautiful soul. And I'm not using the word soul literally. It just gets the point across. But of course, that's not the case. She could be a total bitch. She could be the ugliest person you've ever met on the inside. So your outside and your inside don't often match, which is why you have to be very careful when your first instincts are meeting an ugly person and you think, oh, this this is going to be an ugly person inside and out. Well, not necessarily. They might be a lovely person on the inside. And what you're experiencing is just a kind of evolutionary fear protection mechanism that means that you don't want to get too associated with somebody who's going to be a burden on your resources in your life. But this is what we have wisdom for. We can reflect upon where we've come from with regards to our evolution and what our instincts are, and we can use our rational minds to overcome it. So whether that means not prematurely judging ugly people as bad people, and also not prematurely judging beautiful people as good people, that's the process. That's what our our brains, our minds are actually for. But if you've got a girl whose outside appearance is that she's extremely cute and sweet and delicate, but her her inside experience of herself is not at all that way, that she's actually a wild, crazy woman, then that's going to be extremely frustrating for her. And what she's going to do is begin to crave experiences that don't match her outside appearance, but match her inside appearance. And I'm thinking that this girl is aware that she's not some delicate princess. She knows her true nature is is crazy. You know, she's bipolar. She's she's a wild animal. She's a sex freak who likes her sex to be rough. She doesn't want to be treated all cute. That's not her. That she, he's not seeing her for who she truly is. And I would guess that if this is to do with her physical appearance, that almost nobody in her life, from her parents to her friends to her boyfriends, have ever seen the real her. All they can see is this cute, sweet, small little thing who's, uh, you know, delicate and fragile. But she wants to be seen for who she is. And when she has those experiences of being whipped, of being beaten, of being humiliated, of being treated really rough during sex, that's when she gets this psychological release. She goes, ah, finally, I'm being treated like I truly am. He sees this wildness inside me that needs to be beaten into submission. He sees me. Also, maybe she's been reinforced in a positive way to be cute and helpless. You know, when every time she acted up that role, she got positive reinforcement. And so there's this massive personal taboo that she's got inside her own psychology of breaking that, you know, against being roughed up and and treated. And so when somebody does treat her really rough during sex, that taboo and that shame and that, oh, you can't do that, that's broken and it's new and exciting and it just makes her sex so pleasurable. She's thinking, wow, everyone through my life has always treated me like a princess, but this guy, he treats me like a whore. Wow. Very exciting. Very, very sexually uh, <laughs> arousing. So, he's worried about disrespecting her. But 
he needs to can contemplate what exactly is disrespect in this context. And what does it mean to say something is disrespectful? Because that's an entirely subjective term. So to use another sexual example, one girl might say, oh, I'm never having anal sex. I just find that so disrespectful that someone would want to put their cock inside my butt. That's just terrible. Whereas the next girl's like, why won't you put it in my butt? Like, I want to have anal sex. Why won't you do that? You know, how dare you disrespect me? (laughs) And so you've got the same act, but you can see from two entirely different perspectives, one is disrespectful and the other one is the height of respect. Now, in this situation, he's worried about disrespecting her, but from another perspective, by not fulfilling her sexual wishes, he is actually disrespecting her. Disrespecting her capacity to know what she wants and to give her what she wants, you know, say you're deserving of this experience, that that can be seen to be extremely disrespectful. So, wh- I mean, why have they ended up here? I think that the, the main problem is that they haven't communicated and he doesn't know why she likes it. He doesn't know why she's into the rough stuff during sex and he's making too many assumptions. So what they've got to do is talk, have a, have a conversation and ask her, why, why do you like this? When I do this to you, how does it make you feel? Because when he's had that conversation with her, he's going to understand that this is not some shallow whim. This is not some cheap high of, of just being disrespected for the sake of being disrespected. This is not even, you know, some deeply dark psychological, um, you know, disorder that she's got and that she's she's got some kind of mental health emergency going on. That's why she wants this. What she's going to find, because this is true for all of our sexual fantasies, is a deeply nuanced expression of our deepest beliefs about ourselves and about ourselves and about what we're worth and how to get there and it's all about safety at some level doing these actions are going to make her feel safe that's why it's so pleasurable the the safer you feel during sex the more heightened the pleasure is once he discovers that i think that once he gets to know her better and actually has a full and thorough understanding of what's going on for her mentally and psychologically when she's having sex in this way, he's going to find peace because he's going to realize that he's not disrespecting her, that this is not a problem, that he's actually delivering to her something of tremendous value. And fulfilling your partner's kinks, so long as it's safe, sane, and consensual, is one of the greatest gifts that you can do for somebody. It is the ultimate sign of respect. And once he gets to that point, I think he's going to be able to participate fully and he's going to be able to enjoy the process as well. So he just needs to talk to her and find out where this is from her perspective and not just project his own feelings onto the situation because I don't think he's understanding it correctly. Now, the other possibility is that this actually doesn't have to do with her or his his misunderstanding what she's getting out of it. It just has to do with his self-esteem and maybe he doesn't feel worthy as a dominant or as, as a man capable of being dominant during sex. He, he knows that she wants to submit to a strong man, a confident leader who's so much better than her that he's able to humiliate her and beat her and put her down. But if he doesn't feel like he's worthy of that level of submission, if he's got that self-esteem issue, then he's not going to be able to, to participate. He's going to be in his head 
thinking, oh, I'm, I'm not worthy of somebody's submission or, or that level of surrender. You know, I can't be the leader putting her down because I don't feel like I'm better than her. She's my princess. She's amazing. I, I, I worship this girl. I, I can't do it. And he's making the same mistake that lots of men make. And so, you know, if this is sounding, if this is sounding like it's hitting a few notes inside yourself, pay extra special attention here because what he's doing with all of this worship and um, looking up to her is he's putting her on a pedestal and he's painting her to be this, this angel, but she's not. And you know that she's not by the fact that she's asking for this, or at least there's a part of her that really, really, really wants this. And so lots of guys, they face this particular issue because they come across a girl who who likes sex to be a bit rough because they're interested in being with a man who who's, can take charge and be the boss, but they're with a guy who's treating them softly and delicately and asking permission to touch their elbow and, and <laughs> la la la. And of course, this isn't going to make the woman turned on. It's not going to help the relationship last because it's not what she wants. What better way as a man to demonstrate your superiority over her? And I know this is not PC, but just just hear me out. When you demonstrate your superiority over a girl, that's actually what she wants. That's what makes her turned on. She doesn't want to be the superior one in the relationship. As a woman, she wants to be with a highly competent, highly confident man. And there's no really better way of demonstrating that than during sex by by taking charge. And if she's into it, yeah, getting a little bit rough. What raw, primal animalistic instincts can you kind of give into where you're like grabbing her hair or slapping her butt and just you know, growling a little bit, that is just as authentic a sexual expression that you as a human with an animal body, a human animal body, can actually give to your partner. And women like it. If you've never tried it, I recommend before you judge my advice or judge this to be ridiculous, give it a try. You may be surprised with the uh, <laughs> with the results. So what he needs to do is give across that that image, that uh, that vibe that I'm the man, I'm the best, I'm in charge, I do what I want. And you, you are not my equal, not in the bedroom, no, you are my silly little girl, uh, you're here for my pleasure, and I'll treat you as roughly as I want to. And she'll absolutely love that. But of course, in order for him to do that, he needs confidence, he needs self-esteem, and if that's the problem here, then that's what he needs to work on. He needs to put in the effort necessary so that he can become worthy of being her dominant. And last of all, make sure that you don't make the mistake, if you're ever in a situation like this, of confusing what happens in your sex life with your relationship. Because sex is a completely segregated part of your world with regards to what's acceptable and what's not. You've got a sex brain and then you've got a regular brain. And what you're interested in and how you treat each other during sex does not translate into your relationship. So you might be worried about disrespecting her in the bedroom and that means that you disrespect her in your relationship, but it's not like that. It's when when you're turned on, your brain is operating on a completely different level. When people are sexually aroused, they do crazy shit, you know? Things that you would never do in your ordinary state of mind. People in your ordinary state of mind People beat each other, they call each other names, they lick each other's buttholes. I mean, when would you ever do that if you were in a normal state of mind? You wouldn't. You're like, oh God, no, what the hell am I thinking? 
But when people are turned on and they're all crazy with their sex, they're like, oh, yeah, I'm up for that. <laughs> and that's just the sex brain. That's how it works. So, yeah, sex is different. Um, it doesn't reply to the rest of the relationship. Talk to her. Talk about your boundaries. Understand, you know, talk all this through. In sex, she is a slut and you can disrespect her and that's what she wants. But as long as she knows that that in real life, you don't think of her that way. You'd never disrespect her. You'd never, you know, touch her physically in a way that she didn't want to. Then you've properly put those boundaries in place. You can segregate these two different parts of your life and you can go to town, you know, have some fun. I, I think that all the ingredients are in place for this guy to actually have a very fulfilling sex life if he can be smart about it. So what I like to do after reading a story is go through some of the comments from the Reddit page to see what other people thought of this story. So that's what we're going to do now. Here we go. It's all about the aftercare. If she wants you to do these things, then do them. Keep telling yourself that you're not actually doing any lasting damage to her. Being dominated like that requires trust. She knows you would never truly hurt her. After, make sure you cuddle her and attend to her however she needs you emotionally. I very much enjoy being dominated by my husband, and after when he holds me, I feel so close and loved. Yeah, really good advice. And this is what he needs to take into account is that what he's doing during the sex doesn't necessarily have any lasting impact beyond that. He can go right back to cuddling. And this woman's yeah, description of what she likes of being dominated by her husband and then being cuddled and, and stroked and told that uh, she's loved afterwards. Well, of course, women are going to love that because women are extremely emotional creatures and they, they like to feel their emotions. It feels good for them to get in touch with that. And so here you've got a huge jackknife between, wow, I'm so being dominated and, and maybe even humiliated and beaten during the sex. That is giving me a very particular flavor of emotions. But then a minute later, I feel like I'm the most loved person in the world as he's being so tender and sweet with me. I, I don't totally understand it because my male brain doesn't work the same way, but I know that women love that. If you can jackknife an emotion like that, whoa, women, this is how you make a woman fall in love with you. <laughs> this is what the pickup artists back in the day would teach people. I don't know if they still do that, but it's all about spiking emotions. If you can make her feel anger in one second and love in the next second, you know, anybody who can deliver that kind of emotion to a woman Whoa, you're in you're in the money. So you're not really able to bring up negative emotions inside your relationship and get away with it, except during sex. Only during a woman's sex brain is she actually going to tolerate you spiking her negative emotions. And yet spiking those negative emotions are absolutely essential for deepening the bond, getting to know every single part of her and giving her those emotional highs and lows that make her, you know, so intensely attracted to you. So it's a really, really important thing to do. I would almost say this is an essential step that people need to take in their relationships with women. Well, there's a lot of comment on one comment, so I want to read some more one. Let's go. First things first, you definitely should not be exploring BDSM while drinking. <laughs> well, that's probably true. You need to be having your wits about you so you can hear safe words or things like that. Next comment. Don't infantilize her. She's an adult. Yes. Well, I think that the problem is that he's got this fantasy uh, of her being a princess and he doesn't want to let that go. But the truth is that she's, she's a, a crazy wild woman who's into rough sex, you know, and this, this is what she's saying that she wants. You've got to give that to her. 
Stop seeing sex as something you can do to her and instead something you can both enjoy together. If she's into con slash no con, so I guess that's consensual, non-consensual, then take that pussy whenever you want it. Um, yeah, I guess. I don't really know what to, to make of that. Is he seeing sex as something he does to her? I don't know. Maybe. That's not what I got from it. Let's just read one more comment, then we'll go on to the next one. So you're obsessed with the idea you have of her and not who she really is. Oh, that's a really insightful comment. Yeah, I think that that might even explain why he's not not uh, able to participate in this is because if he really goes to town on her during the sex and gives her what she wants, it's going to shatter the illusion that he has of the person that he, he wants to be with. He likes this cute little princess image that he's got. And he doesn't really want to lose that, but he's going to lose that if he goes through. So the challenge is whether this guy is actually emotionally mature enough to be able to see her as she really is, to have an authentic view of the person that she is, rather than just being attached to this illusion that he has. Mm, very good comment. All right, before we get on to the next story, I just want to plug my Patreon. This is the place where people who like the podcast who like my work on YouTube, they come together and they pull a little bit of their money and give me a consistent income so that I can focus a little bit less on financial stress and I can focus a whole lot more on making fantastic content for you guys to listen to and to watch. So if you like this podcast, if you think that I am giving you something of value, I would really appreciate to see you over at Patreon making a small pledge. Just a tiny amount of money from a lot of people can go a long way. So in advance, I want to thank you for that. Next story. Am I the asshole for divorcing my wife because of her inability to raise her daughter? Her daughter is 16. We're both in our 40s. Her daughter, Ashley, is from a previous relationship. My wife and I have been married 10 years and together for 10. No, married 7 years and together for 10. To put it bluntly, Ashley's a huge brat. She always has this horrible attitude, never does the minimal chores we assign her in brackets, make sure her room slash bathroom is cleaned and wash the dishes, that's it. She's always partying and coming home drunk at four in the morning and always bringing home different dudes to spend the night. I don't really have any parental authority over Ashley at the request of my wife because her father's still in the picture, but I'm just sick of the way she treats and raises her child. She just brushes off her delinquency with, she's just a kid. I'm not against kids having fun, but come on, why is there a stranger at my house at two in the morning? She thinks because she's almost an adult, that gives her a free ride to do whatever she wants, never mind the fact that she's just finished her sophomore year in high school. Her mother thinks that as long as she's safe and responsible, we should just let her find herself. Well, I think she needs to step up and be a parent, enforce rules, give punishments, and actually raise her child besides letting her act like a fucking delinquent. We've had multiple chats about it, and it always went, ends with, you don't get to tell me how to raise my child. And while that's true, I want kids, and we were actively trying for a baby. My thought process is this. If this is the way that you're going to raise your child, what's stopping you from raising our future children like this? I decided that I didn't want this for myself, and I didn't have the right to parent her child, but I didn't want my child to be raised like this. So I talked to a divorce attorney, and I'm probably going to proceed in a divorce. The reason why I feel like I might be an asshole about this is because she has no house and will probably have to move back with her parents across the country. I got a prenup because there's quite an income disparity between us. 
in brackets, she works part-time at minimum wage while I work at a Fortune 500. Her kid would have to uproot her life and everything that she's known. I don't hate the kid, I just think her parent is failing her right now. This is our only issue, but one that's been coming up frequently for the last year and a half, and I feel like at this point, it's just a fundamental incompatibility. Hmm, good story, good story. All right, I'm just going to take a quick drink, and then I'll get into the analysis. Oh, that's good. Okay. While, while it's a good story in the fact that it's well-written, it's a terrible story in terms of what's actually occurring. Uh, it's quite upsetting, if I'm honest. Uh, I, I actually have a lot of judgmental thoughts about this woman. Ter- terrible, terrible job she's doing uh, raising her girl. This teenage girl is obviously completely lost. This is obviously a cry for help. Uh, she's desperate for somebody to care, and it's really heartbreaking because the mother is not looking. And she seems a long way away from looking. She's not contemplating whether or not she's doing the right thing. She's so lost. She's The mother's telling herself that she's being virtuous, saying, oh, I'm letting her have her freedom. I'm letting her be an adult, uh, and those kind of rationalizations. No, no I don't like it at all. Uh, teens are not adults teenagers absolutely not adults have personal responsibility that's sort of the hallmark of being an adult and and teenagers just don't have that at that age that the parents are responsible this mother is responsible and the reason that she's telling herself that she isn't is because if she is then it's obvious that she's doing just a terrible terrible job because this girl this ashley this teenage girl her behavior is is really quite appalling she's drinking she's out partying even though she's in high school She's sleeping with strangers and she has the the balls or, or the gall, I don't know what you call it, to actually bring them home, you know, into the house. This is really, really outrageous behavior. And the whole situation is, is made worse by the mother's rationalizations. It's really, you know, disgraceful because she just doesn't want to feel uncomfortable. That's the real reason why she's not being a parent. She doesn't want to confront the fact that she's failing her daughter and in her desire to avoid any discomfort, she's engaging in this backwards rationalization. <sighs> uh, it's 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 not good. And and these rationalizations, as well as being just sort of dubious in terms of their um their logic and their moral applicability, they're also on a practical level so difficult to dislodge as somebody's invested a lot in them and she's walking down the completely wrong path. It would be a lot better if this mother just got upset. That would be the rational response to your, your daughter being all drinking and, and and promiscuous, you know? You should be really sad about that. And if she just cried and she reached out to this man and said, I, I don't know what to do, I'm so upset, I think I'm failing her, I feel so bad about myself, I'm scared, I just want to help her, that's actually fine, you know? I mean, obviously the situation's not good, but if there's an acknowledgement from everybody about what's actually going on, then there's a chance to change. And so this is a lesson for everybody listening. If you're with a partner who's going through really difficult things and life is terrible and they're contributing to it, if they understand what the problem is and they can talk to you about it, you know, fully, they don't shy away from that, then you're okay. Most most things can be worked through. And so if there's an honest acknowledgement about what the problem is, I, I say keep investing in the relationship. That That's a really good sign. 
Where the red flag comes in is not whether or not things are going well in life. It's the degree to which that person has the courage to admit it fully. And if they're just engaging in distractions, lies, manipulations, rationalizations, they're avoiding the reality of what's actually going on, that's your red flag. And even if the issue is quite small and minor, if you're with a partner who cannot or will not see reality, that's where you need to be frightened. Because if they're not seeing it over a small thing, even if it's not you know, impacting your life too much, if they won't even have the courage to look at directly for something small, what's the chance that they're going to be able to confront something big, something that's really, really important? So this woman is pretending like she's being a good mother, and it's it's really quite shocking. What she needs to do is rise above her, her personal discomfort and do what's right for the child, to put some boundaries in, to find out what's going on in her life and in her world. Love isn't just giving somebody complete freedom to do whatever they want. Love means saying no sometimes, uh, taking responsibility for somebody else, especially a child. And obviously, he understands this. He's coming from this very um, sensible perspective. He says, well, this is not good. And he tries to bring it up. And what's her retort? She says, well, she's not your daughter. Don't tell me how to raise my child. And yes, it's not his daughter, but, but so what? I don't understand why that means that he has no right to comment on what's going on in his house with this woman. This woman, the mother's doing a terrible job at parenting, and because she's doing a terrible job, that, in my mind, kind of gives everybody a right to have a say. Because just as a fellow human watching somebody suffering, and one person by their actions creating that suffering, or by their inaction, more in this case, then everybody should get in on it. I'm getting in on it. I don't know this woman, but I'll say it. I'll say to this woman, if you're listening, you are absolutely failing your daughter, and I think your actions are shameful. I, I'm sorry for whatever you're going through that makes you so frightened of, of confronting her and you're in discomfort, but you need to get over it quickly because this is your daughter. You are charged with raising her and you need to do better. By your inaction, you are selling your daughter out. You're potentially putting her down a path in life that she's not going to be able to get off. And that's really, really sad. And it's your fault. And all because you don't want to be uncomfortable. It's, it's no good. And... <laughs> Gosh, you've even got a partner who'd be willing, <laughs> you've even got a partner who'd be willing to be a parent, to potentially put in some of those boundaries, and yet you won't even let him do it. You won't even let him talk about it. What are you doing? You say that he doesn't have a say in how this girl is raised? That's nonsense. Of course he has, has a say. He's living with this girl. He has to live with you both. This is his house. This is his stepdaughter. This is his life. He's a very much an involved bystander, and what's happening to her affects him. Of course he gets a say. It's absolute rubbish to say that because there's no biology linking the two of them, he has no right to comment on this. If anybody ever pulls this kind of attempt at logic on you or tries to frame this as, as logical or legitimate, you tell them straight up that it's ridiculous, and you're not going to participate in that nonsense. Absolutely under any circumstances at all. And, of course, he wouldn't even have to tell her what to do with regards to parenting if she was doing it right in the first place. So <laughs> she's kind of forcing him to, to speak up about this. Obviously, it would be better if she was on top of it, then he wouldn't need to comment, but that's not the case. And this is what his concern is, because 
He was saying that he wants to have a child with this woman, but he's looking at the way that she's parenting and thinking, well, is this going to reflect how she parents the next child? Uh, Yes, definitely. I think it's very sensible to connect those two dots. He can see he can see what's going to happen in the future and that this is a bad idea. She's going to mess up any future children they have because this is not isolated. What Her behavior indicates something deeper about her character and where she's at in life. It doesn't just apply to this Ashley girl. It will apply to future children as well. Her inaction reflects either a selfishness or a cowardice. It doesn't really matter which, but it's, it's a big red flag. It's no good. So absolutely do not have children with this woman. Plus, she's over 40. The risk of, of something going wrong with your child when some, the woman is over 40 in pregnancy is massive. A lot of women over 40 can't even get pregnant. So if you haven't had children yet, I, I recommend you, you should find somebody younger. So I think your instincts are right. I don't think you're doing anything wrong. Uh, I think, yep, this is, this is grounds. You've tried to talk to her. She won't, she won't have a bar of it. So I think divorce is the, the correct answer. Now, I'm not in favor of easy divorces. I think that all too often in our society, people bail out of a marriage just when the first difficulty comes up. What you're actually required to do is, is grow through it and talk and go through therapy, whatever you need to do, especially if there are children involved. But these two don't have biological children yet. And I think he's already taken the steps necessary that would be expected, which is to speak to her about this particular problem. Um, you need to communicate and, and do everything that you can to see, is there any wiggle room? But no, that's not going to happen, obviously. She's already made it clear. She's not interested in his perspective on this. <sighs> Extremely concerning. So what should he do? Uh I still think that before he really pulls the trigger on the divorce, he needs to give it one last strong conversation, really try and push it into therapy, something like that. Sometimes in a divorce, you need to kind of spring it on the other person as a surprise. Like if that person is abusive and toxic and you know that they're going to be vindictive or try and steal from you, then you need to take actions to protect yourself from from their craziness. You need to protect assets. But that doesn't apply in this situation. He has a, a prenup because of the income disparity between the two of them which means he's got an ironclad contract that's going to guarantee that any settlement that happens between the two of them is not going to be disastrous with regards to him. So really, he's in a unique situation where he has nothing to lose by speaking to her first and letting her know that he's thinking about a divorce. And he might even want to put an ultimatum to her, like, look, I love you, I wanted to have children with you, but this is just a non-negotiable problem for me. The way that you're raising Ashley, I cannot stomach anymore. I'm happy to help, but if you don't fix this, I'm sorry, but the relationship is over. Give her that chance. Let her know how serious this is for you, what the consequences of inaction will be. And if you've done all that you can and there's still no movement from her, sad as it is, yes, I think it's time to uh, to get that divorce. All right, let's look at some of the comments. In the child development world, we categorize this as permissive parenting. And it's super common with single parents because, quite honestly, it's a lot less mental work to think of your child as your roommate slash friend. Wow, that's some raw truth. Yeah, I've seen this dynamic a few times. I've seen some fantastic single parents. I really have. But I've seen a couple of shockers and the children, it, it's like a surrogate marriage that's going on. The worst I've seen are single mothers who have a son. 
And I just find the dynamic really, really uncomfortable. And I really feel sorry for the child. There's a, a very unhealthy emotional enmeshment between the two of them. And so what he's saying is that it's a lot of parents just do this permissive parenting because it's, it's less mental work. Ah, that laziness, that actually does work for me as an explanation. I think that, that that may well be true. It's too hard to put those boundaries in place. It's just easier to be lazy about it and just tell yourself you're a good parent because of how permissive you are. But it, it's, it's obviously not good. I also think that sometimes these single parents turn their children into emotional support people, which is also massively disastrous. As an adult, you should not be looking to children to fix your emotions. You should let children be children while you sort yourself out with other adults. But I do see this with single parents, that they put an unfair burden on their children to be an emotional support. It's very, very worrying. Now let's move on to another comment. I also think that moving across the country could be good for the daughter. Being around more family, providing the family is good, and then getting away from the scene that she's currently in. Yeah, that's a good point. He's concerned that this girl, Ashley, this teenage girl is going to have to uproot her life and that's going to be traumatic. But really, if she's gotten in with a bad crowd, and bad habits, then moving to a different community might well be the, the break that she needs to actually kickstart her onto a more positive path. And if they're moving in with the mother's parents, so Ashley's grandparents, well, hopefully they're a little bit more sensible and they'll look at this situation where she wants to bring random guys home and say no that's not going on in our household and we'll have a, an enlightened witness somebody who can actually step in a little bit with regards to the parenting that would be very very positive and this is why you should discuss parenting styles prior to marriage yes absolutely it is surprising to me how many people go into marriages or long-term commitments assuming that they're on the same page about everything that's an absolute disaster I think that sometimes people don't talk about this because they're they're scared of what the answer will be, and so they willingly, you know, blind themselves to any uh, any potential red flags. But you shouldn't do that. You need to really take this seriously. You can't leave that to luck. You should speak about everything with regards to the future with your potential partner. You want to talk about what kind of life you want to have, how you feel about budgeting and and spending money, where you want to live, how many kids you want to have, what style of parenting. All of that, talk about that beforehand. That's just doing your due diligence. I can see this going from don't tell me how to parent my child to don't tell me how to be the mother of our child. And this whole thing will repeat itself unless some big changes are made. Yes, definitely. If she's got that kind of uh, entitlement that only she's allowed to comment on with regards to their child and his stepchild, then absolutely you can see that happening even when they have their own biological children. All right, final comment. If it were me, I'd go to therapy and give her an ultimatum. When you signed on to be the stepfather, you signed on to parent the child. It's not okay that she says you don't get to. Yeah, that logic I really find bizarre. I wonder if the guy ever challenged her on it, if he ever said, no, this this way that you have of shutting me out of these conversations has no legitimacy. I absolutely, absolutely do get a say because this is all affecting me and wonder what she said to that, or if the problem is that he's just bought into the logic and just said, okay, I guess I don't have a say, you know, I, I, I wonder about that conversation. But it's a very sad, very sad story. Obviously, I hope that they're able to talk about it and she's able to, to make some improvements and everyone's lives get better. But 
the world isn't governed by what I hope. It's governed by factors often a lot darker than that, and I don't think that there's going to be a happy ending to that particular story. I apologize if that's bummed everybody out. Hopefully, hopefully the next story will make us feel uplifted. That having talking about that, if you have a story that you would like to send me, obviously priority goes to people who are signed onto my Patreon page. But in any case, you can always contact me via email and uh, send me something going on in your life that you want some comments on. My email is alexandergraceful at gmail.com. Alexandergraceful, all one word, at gmail.com. All right, let's move on to our final story for this podcast. It has no title because it was just an email that was sent to me. Here goes. Hi, Alexander. I was not sure how to contact you, so I'm trying through this email. Fingers crossed you managed to read this. I've been watching your videos for the past two years, and I found your advice to be logical, unbiased, and informative. I really appreciate what you give to the community, given that the current man-sphere is full of toxic MGTOs, bitter men, or feel-good BS coaches. <laughs> All right, thanks for the kind words. Anyway, I'm writing to you because I've been having usual-slash-unusual problems in my dating life. Firstly, let me introduce myself. I am fake name, and I's, uh, and he's asking me not to use his real name when I do the podcast because he's a 21-year-old Polish immigrant living in the Netherlands for the last nine years. I study computer science and engineering at one of the best technical universities in Europe. I live with my parents 40 minutes away from university by bike, which I travel both ways for financial reasons, as I hate debt and I want to start clean once I start working, considering how much it costs to study nowadays. I am doing not too bad at my study, enjoying it, and even have a lot of part-time jobs, but I'm under a lot of pressure and having lots of problems with girls. As you might have already guessed, there are few girls at my university, 100 to 170 girls to guys ratio to be exact, which means that rejection from one is a rejection for the whole group of girls. Gossip spreads fast, and I learned it the hard way. I have two attractive female friends who I discussed gender dynamics with at the university. They described it to me that girls there feel like meat because guys don't care who they are and thus girls are extremely picky to have very superficial standards. In brackets, I heard girls telling guys straight to their face that they should not talk to any girl because they are ugly. Goodness. A girl has to like you 100% with no doubts about you as a guy. Also, they told me that if they do have doubts, they exploit the guys that like them for their knowledge from a subject from the study. Ay ay ay. Therefore, given this terrible dating pool, it was logical for me to just not get myself involved with girls dating-wise at my university. I had two relationships that were both from Tinder. Long story short, one was very controlling slash manipulative, and the other took me for granted. I was the one breaking up in both cases. I also had one hookup at uni, as I was an intro week group helper, and a girl liked me enough to take me to her place. In the intro week, new students don't know much about the gender dynamics here, so it's kind of open season. <laughs> I could not take it as I was in the ending stages with my last ex. I told the intro girl the truth, and I mentioned my insecurities as well. I left and never saw her again. I didn't have sex with her, even though she was keen. I felt like a fraud, and that the only reason she liked me was because I was a leader, and if I wasn't, I would be nobody. It was saddening because I will not always be the leader slash alpha in every situation in life. <laughs> My apologies. I tried also going to different cities and parties or even women-dominated universities, but I crashed and burned even there when it came to setting dates or meeting up. I feel like throughout my life I am in the wrong environment with girls. 
Almost all of my friends are guys and nearly always hang out and I always nearly always hang out with guys exclusively. Because of that, I feel slightly miserable that I am not getting the opportunity to meet girls. I don't care about rejection, but I am worried that I'll go through life with no significant experience with girls or I will attract the wrong women into my life once I'm older. Also, dating apps are out of bounds for me because of past bad experiences there. I would like to meet women naturally and as a bonus, if all goes well, make sleep with them. <laughs> English, not, not the first language. I like that. Make sleep with them so that I can have a satisfaction that I did it myself. I tend to make a bad impression on women that are from my surrounding as well, which I do not understand why. I, it's difficult sometimes to follow what he's saying, but the English is not too bad. You can kind of get a sense of it. It's not that I am unhealthy or anything. I go to the gym three times a week and cycle every day in total 25 kilometers. Sometimes I had thoughts that I should get rid of my sexual desires as quickly as possible because it was not appreciated. It only a trap from me where I was being manipulated with it. Now it's a bit better where I go to a psychologist and try to get myself out of my head and stop thinking about such dark thoughts. However, I am kind of in a hopeless place with girls and I'm not sure if I will ever have any positive experiences with a woman ever again. Should I keep going and accept my fate or should I do something differently? Any word of advice would be helpful, and thank you for reading this. Keep up the great content. Obviously, a story like this doesn't have like a massive, juicy conflict between two people that we can really delve into like the previous story had. But what it makes up for in specificity, it, 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 what it lacks in specificity, it makes up for in its universality. Because I imagine that what he's going through is quite a quite a common problem felt by a lot of guys you know they've had a couple of bad experiences with girls things aren't going well for them and as they look around their environment they just can't see what's going to change what's going to come along magically into their life and fix their current circumstances and mean that they're going to have successful and happy relationships with women i they just can't see how that's going to happen so i'm really grateful that you wrote to me and you've given me this very honest story because there's a lot that I can talk about. And I think that hopefully in talking about this, I'll be able to help you and anybody else listening to this who's experienced something similar. So let's start with this description you gave of the university because that was very, very good. You're talking about the 100 to 170 ratio where there are very few girls. And as I read that, what came to mind to me were the old tribal days when we used to not live in cities or even villages we just lived in like a small tribe with a collection of huts and maybe you're a 15 year old boy and you're interested in having sex but the amount of the pool of girls to choose from is like five to ten girls because you're living in in a tribe of just a couple of hundred there's there's not many women around to choose from and this is actually why we fear rejection the smallness of the tribes that we lived in back in our sort of caveman days is what's behind that evolutionary fear because if you do approach a girl and you say hey i don't know what the pickup lines were back in 30,000 bc but if you say hey i'm i'm, I'm i want to sleep with you and she's like uh no i i don't want that she's obviously going to tell the other 5 to 10 girls in the tribe all your other potential dating and sexual prospects are going to know about the rejection within a minute and so <laughs> back then there was reason to be extremely concerned about being rejected because a rejection from one girl, it's kind of going to guarantee a rejection from all of them because that's sort of how women work. You've been designated as not a, not a top tier guy. 
And a sentence like that, passed on your worth, you're not worthy of mating with, is a really devastating sentence. It, it could mean that you're, you don't have children ever. Very few men, uh, you know, at least in comparison to women, actually mated. I think there's some statistic, I haven't totally understood it, but it's something like twice as many women throughout history have had children as men have. So there are lots of men who who never having children, and that would really, really be hard because your entire biological imperative is to have children. So there is good evolutionary reason why men are frightened of rejection. It was put there in a reason. This is something to legitimately be terrified about because it could mean that you never, ever get to have sex. You never get to have a partner. You never get to have children. So when you're talking about this university where there's this small group of of women who are all going to gossip amongst each other, I thought that was a really, really good recreation of how things used to be in the old tribal days. Now, of course, that fear that we have of being rejection in the modern context is not rational. It's It's a leftover relic still inside our biology from our caveman days, but it just does not apply anymore because we don't live in tiny tribes where there's this small pool of women to choose from. The truth is that this world has an endless supply of women. There are billions upon billions of women that you can go and speak to. So this is why, because this fear is so strong and because it's not rational, it's one of the reasons why I do still recommend that people, young guys, practice cold approaching women. I think that it's an essential rite of passage that you need to go through. Now, I'm not a PUA. I don't tell people how to do pickup or anything like that because as I mentioned in previous podcasts, it's not hugely interesting to me. But I, I do think that people need to listen to people other than me. Find somebody else on YouTube who can teach this kind of stuff and go out and do some cold approaches until you have been rejected enough times and you can keep going. You notice like, oh, I got rejected a hundred times and yet I still ended up with this super hot girlfriend who has sex with me. You need to make your brain go through something like that in order to get over that fear of rejection and make it adapt itself from its basic programming to the modern context to align itself with the new reality. So let's talk about this mean girl who who said you should never approach women. No, he didn't say this directly. She didn't say this to the man writing, but she she said it to somebody else. He's don't approach women because you're so ugly. <laughs> uh, I have nothing positive to say about a girl who's, who says that. I was going to start swearing, but what's the point? What's the point? I, I, I'm not going to get all upset about this. I will just say that I think so, a girl who speaks like that, who says something like that, it is completely unforgivable. I think it's 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 terrible. How can you speak to a man like that and be so rude? If he, Unless he was harassing you in some way, touching you without your permission or not leaving you alone after you politely asked him to leave him alone, how can you justify such a cruel, mean comment? Why not just be polite? Now, I understand why women don't like being hit on by guys that they're not interested in. I understand the feeling of repulsion that goes on inside a woman's brain when a guy who she considers to be out of, um, not in her league, starts hitting on them because women feel like this isn't just some neutral event. This is a slight upon me. You know, by approaching me and hitting on me, you're insinuating that you had a chance with a woman of my caliber. That is so insulting. Don't you know that my value is so much higher than yours? 
And so in order to reinforce that value to themselves and to any onlookers, because what they're really scared about is the top tier guy who they secretly have a crush on, seeing the fact that she's getting hit on by these ugly low tier guys and then the top here guy going, oh, she she belongs in that kind of class of woman. That's what she's scared of. And that's why she's so cruel in this rejection, because she does it to reinforce the difference between the two of them. I'm going to demonstrate how out of your league I am by how cruel I'm going to be. Again, it's just one of those leftover relics, this desire to be cruel to, to men who hit on you when they're outside of your league or you perceive it to be that way. One of those leftover instincts we've had in our bodies, leftover from evolution, that we need to overcome because women don't need to be cruel. Not anymore. People don't think like that. You need to be better than just your animal instincts. So that's why I'm so judgmental of a woman like this. So a decent woman who had a decent upbringing, she's going to be able to rise above that. You know, she might feel that natural repulsion potentially when she's getting hit on by this ugly guy. But she's not going to be cruel back to him. Why would she be? She's going to be polite and kind and just be like, hey, thank you. I'm not personally interested, but you're very sweet to ask. You know, that's that's how a woman should deal with that. So if I have any female listeners out there who've ever done this, being really rude to a guy when they've hit on you, please don't do that. You've no idea what impact that can have on a guy's self-esteem. Do not, your words are powerful. When you're speaking about a man's worth, be cautious with the power that you that you wield. Be really, really cautious. Just be be nice to them, polite. You can be firm, but there's no reason to be cruel about it. And it really annoys me that there is no social stigma around women like this. Like shaming men in this manner when they hit on you is one of the few areas in society where you're s- there's still not a massive backlash against women doing this, even though it's so demonstrably cruel. You know, where is all the outrage and shame when this occurs? And I'm not one of those people that's against shame or social shaming people. I think that it's an extremely important tool we have so that we don't have to rely on the government to use force. Why don't we just use citizens shaming citizens in order to encourage good behavior? So when a woman does this, when a woman is cruel as a rejection, people should go up to that woman and just say, shame on you for treating this man like this. He liked you. He wanted to talk to you. That is a compliment. You do not speak to somebody else like this. I, you are sunk to be a very low-quality woman in my mind. What's this other example? That when they, they don't like a guy, but they'll still exploit guys for their knowledge, like get their study notes or something like this. These are the kind of behaviors that we need to be calling out as a society. We need to be aware that women are capable of this kind of darkness, these kind of dark motives. And this is one of those those things that we've got to break through because our culture still protects women a lot. And I'm, I'm oh gosh, <laughs> I can feel myself getting a little bit emotional here. Let me try and pull it back a little bit. <sighs> I do believe that our culture protects women and they, that females are kind of a protected class. And I don't think that it's good for men because it makes them feel like the dirty, base, rotten, evil ones in our society. It's bad for man's self-esteem. And I do think that's behind why the suicide rate is so much worse for men. It's not the only reason, but I think it's one of them. But I also don't think that it's good for women. Women often know that they're not perfect angels, but they're in a culture that 
gives them this sense that they are, that they can do no wrong. They can be as mean to men as they like, and there's no consequences. Well, if we have a a generation of spoiled, entitled women, you know, this is the reason why. It's because they've not been pulled up for bad behavior when they've done it. And so if I have to say it again here, and if I have to repeat it 1,000 times through the course of this podcast lifetime, I'm going to keep saying this until the message sinks into your brain, my listener, my valuable, valuable audience, who I really appreciate listening, and sinks into the brain of everybody. Women can be dark. There is just as much darkness inside the psyche of a woman as there is inside a man. Any illusions you have to the opposite, that men are in some way a darker gender, put that out of your mind. That is cultural indoctrination. It is not true. Women can be very manipulative. In a lot of ways, they're better at it than men. Women are clearly not as violent as as men are. I've heard some MRAs make the claim that women are. I, I think it's nonsense. Violence is linked to testosterone. Men have a lot more testosterone. Men are definitely more violent. But women express their emotional violence in other ways. Women can be really, really dark. And so why pretend otherwise? Why, why do we engage in this illusion that says that women are these special, beautiful creatures who can do no wrong? That's not good for anyone. And unless we acknowledge this in a normal, rational way that just looks at the facts objectively and tries to not come at this from too emotional a place, the only people who are going to be speaking on this issue are the kind of people you don't want speaking on this issue. Like I listened to Sam Harris talking about how Nobody on the left was talking about immigration, even though immigration is obviously something that that country, the United States, needs to take care of. But why isn't the left side of politics worried about protecting the unions, protecting lower class people's jobs from all the immigrants coming in? Why can't they have a rational conversation about it? Because if you just call everybody who talks about immigration a racist, well, in the end, the only people who are talking about immigration are going to be the racists. And then you've got like a Donald Trump and all the crazies running everything uh, because they're the only people who are actually speaking about this important issue. If we don't start speaking about the darker sides of human nature, like you and me and rational people, the kind of people who watch this channel and listen to this podcast, I, I, I have to say, I consider myself to be a moderate and a scientifically driven person. I don't think that I'm an extremist really on anything. But unless I talk about the darkness of women and you talk about it in your life with the people around you, then the only people who are going to be speaking about the darkness inside women are going to be misogynists, genuine extremist, mentally unstable people who engage in identity politics and have an irrational and emotional hatred of women. There's a lot of toxicity. Like the guy said in his original story, the MIGTO crazies, the extremists, that, that can be really, really toxic. You don't want those guys being the only people having a conversation about this. Because it's going to go too extreme. And then suddenly we're that much further away from having a rational discourse about female nature. So this is, this is why I talk about it. I try and walk, walk a very, very fine line because I, I want to call out women's bad behavior when it's appropriate. But I want to make sure I never descend into any kind of irrationality or tribalism or uh, misogyny. It's, it's, it's a hard line to walk, especially when everybody on both sides seems to be pushing me to one way. You've got the really hardcore feminists who are like, women can do no wrong. You've got the MGTOW crazies who are like, every single woman is a gold digging slut. 
and you think, all right, <laughs> what's the middle path here? But I'm very grateful that I've been taking the middle path as long as I have, and I seem to be finding my people. With every single month, more and more of the crazies seem to drop off, and more and more regular rational people seem to be coming to the podcast, coming to the channel, emailing me, talking to me about these things. And I do, I always suspected that we're the majority of people. It's just that we understand that this is an important thing to talk about. The social and personal psychological consequences of understanding the true nature of women is a massive consequence, which is why I think it's important to talk about it. I don't think it's any less important to talk about the male one. It's just that we, we've kind of already talked about it. We have a general idea. We need to talk about it more, of course. But for whatever reason, we've been living in a culture of silence. We cannot talk about women. We cannot interpret their behavior in any way that doesn't paint them as perfect angels. And the man is the, the, the problem in all these, in all these situations. <laughs> I'm just looking at my notes and I'm just seeing how far I've deviated from what I intended to speak about with regards to this story. There, that was an epic rant. <laughs> I hope you guys like the rants. <laughs> All right, let's let's get disciplined, Alex. Let's get back on let's get back on track. Back to this story. Okay, so here he is. He's in this situation where he he's had some bad relationships and he he hooked up with one person, but he didn't actually sleep with her. This was when he was in this leadership position uh, for for New Week, and there was a girl there who didn't really understand how scarce women were, what the sexual marketplace was at the university yet. And so even though he he had that contextual alpha position he chose not to exploit it and uh, use it to to have sex with her and i really really commend you for that I, I i think that that's exactly the right thing to have done i'm glad you did not have sex with her it's i'm just like you in my life there have been many opportunities for casual sex but i had no desire to follow through with it i had here's a story i had one date with a beautiful woman really really attractive and she didn't ask me any questions about myself during the whole day. She was pleasant. She was like a nice enough kind of girl. And she just talked about herself seemingly with very little input from me. But about two years, two, two hours in, I, I just wanted the date to end. I was completely bored because it was just a one-way conversation. I was thinking, oh, she has no interest in who I am or, or what's going on in my life. And this was years ago now, a long, long time ago. But I was done. You know, I was dropping a dropping her back in, in my car. And, and then she started a conversation saying quite openly that she wanted to sleep with me. And in my mind, I'm thinking, well, this is a very beautiful girl, but I just had no desire. I knew that I wouldn't be able to go through with it because what was her motivation? Who, who does she really want to sleep with? Does she want to sleep with me? It didn't feel that way because she doesn't know me. She, she didn't ask me any questions. I could be any guy in that situation, and if I'm going to have sex with somebody, if I'm going to engage in that extremely intimate act, I want to feel like they 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 desire me as a person. I want to feel special and unique in their eyes. If I could just be any random guy, then I don't know that I would get any enjoyment out of that situation. Now, to me, the way I've always approached these these things has always I've taken it as evidence of high self esteem because I'm not selling myself for less than. I'm worth. And I hope that that's the way that you are interpreting your situation. You didn't sleep with this girl, even though you had this contextual alpha status and she wanted to, but she didn't know the real you. All she was attracted to was the position and you didn't want to sell yourself for cheaper than you're worth. And so you decided to not have sex. You know, you wanted her to know the real you, but she didn't. So that's a very sensible thing that you've done. I really commend you and say, I think that you did the, the right thing. Had you gone through with it, 
I think you would have felt worse about yourself after the sex. So you had the right right idea and just not even starting down that that path in the first place. I also see what I I think is some quite high self-esteem and a high self-worth that you have for yourself in your decision to not go on Tinder. So what you're doing here is you're you're setting yourself minimum standards for what way you want to meet women and what quality of woman that you want to meet. That's good. That's a really good sign. I know that it, you haven't necessarily seen the results from this first, but I think you're on the right path because making that decision to not go on Tinder and to sort of sell yourself cheap like that, that that's a masculine action. You know, you've got a strong frame. It's a sort of declaration that even as strong as your sexual urges are, you are not going to deviate in terms of quality. You're not going to sink yourself for lower than your worth in order to get those sexual urges met. Now, you're having some difficulty, you know, coming to terms with that. You're saying, I kind of want my my sexual urges to be removed from me. I can understand that. Uh, I know the difficulties that you're going through and that desire to just have some some force magically remove your desire for sex. You would not be the first guy to feel that way. Uh, because like, like you sort of have intimated your sexuality can actually be a huge hindrance in your ability to have sex because that, that desire that you have that women can smell it (laughs) When, when you're desperate to have sex and that's what your goal is and you're outcome dependent, women are aware of it. They can pick up on that kind of thing. They are highly attuned. Women have evolved specifically to be able to sniff out the guy who's just trying to get off. And this is why Chad has so much success with girls is because he doesn't have that desperation. You know, why does he? He slept with 10 girls last week. He has a completely abundant sex life. Whether or not it works out with this particular girl, he doesn't really care because he's just got so much abundance. So his sex drive doesn't ever make him feel thirsty or come across as desperate because he's just not. Now, you can kind of achieve that same abundant mentality or vibe that Chad has if you had no sex drive because you'd be, you wouldn't be outcome dependent. You don't want anything from her. Like, what does it matter how the date goes? You're not even trying to have sex with her. Obviously, the problem with that is that you can't get rid of your sex drive, at least not in any way that I know. You, you don't want to castrate yourself or something ridiculous like that. So... What do you do if you genuinely feel like your own desire for sex, your sexuality is getting in the way? I think your only solution there is is just to embrace it. You just acknowledge it and accept it as authentically as you can. So when you're speaking to a woman, be honest about your sexual desires. That way it's not going to come across as desperate. You know, women <laughs> women know you want to fuck them, right? Like if there's a, you're speaking to a beautiful girl, she knows you want to have sex with her. She just assumes it. She would be a fool to not assume it. So if she already knows that, just own it. You know, just make a comment like, hey, I don't really trust my body. You know, I can feel it inside myself. My biology is telling me that I want to have sex with all women. I want to have sex with you right now. You're sitting here. You're very attractive. But hey, that's just my body. I've learned that beauty isn't enough. You know, it's not a good enough to to spend time with somebody or to have a relationship. I need a, a high quality woman. So yes, I want to have sex with you, but that's not really significant. Like who cares? I, I want to have sex with everybody. What's going to really make or break this forming relationship between the two of us is not whether or not I want to have sex with you. Of course I do. That's my, that's my body. I can't control that. What's going to determine whether we succeed or not is if we can go deeper. 
if you're a woman who can impress me in other areas. See, and what you're doing there is you're you're setting standards. You're creating a frame that she needs to fall into. Um, you're saying I am high quality and she needs to meet you in that place. You've taken away the power that she had in being the person who possesses something that you want, you know, sex, because you've just openly acknowledged it and told her that it's not a big deal. You've pointed out the elephant in the room. She already knows that you want to have sex with her. And so you're just being authentic. You're just admitting, yeah, of course I want to have sex with you. Um, but you're demonstrating that that doesn't dictate your behavior. <laughs> um, I really, really think that this is absolutely essential. So everybody listening, I, if you've never done this before, if you've always kept your sexual side private, I really recommend experimenting with being as explicit about it as early as possible and then moving on. It's almost as essential as I would say that you basically need to state it in your first couple of interactions, just as calmly as possible, you know, just make it so it's not a big deal. Like I've said, she already knows, but if you can just acknowledge the fact that she's attractive and you're sexually desirable, but so what? That's going to, it's going to remove so much of the unnecessary tension and the fear that she's going to have, you know, because she's constantly scanning. What is he, what does he want from me? Is he like every other guy? Does he just want me for sex? Is it, what did I do this? She's going to be keeping you at a distance, at an arm's length, because she doesn't trust where you're coming from. What you need to do is tell her explicitly, like, oh, of course I want to have sex with you. Let her know where you're coming from, but then it's not a big deal. Doing that, in addition to making that whole interaction just flow a lot more easily, it's also going to have the effect of setting you apart from 99% of guys who would never do that, who think that they're somehow being a white knight, chivalrous, respecting woman guy by never mentioning the fact that they want to have sex with them doesn't work women don't think that way women appreciate honesty and confidence and authenticity tell her that you want to have sex with her and then move on so in your story you asked how can you meet more women you know what's going to change in your life and i'm really glad that you asked this question because it's a very very important question and i'm glad that you've already ruled out dating apps because <laughs> dating apps yep they're they're a disaster stay away from them they will destroy your self esteem as a man now so how are you going to go about it? Well, honestly, cold approaching isn't that bad. It, it it can work. I think one of the problems is that if you're extremely thirsty and you're really keen to have sex, is that when you're cold approaching women, just going up to them in the street and doing pickup stuff, is that you can get a little bit too focused on sex as the outcome and you can miss a lot of opportunities that don't necessarily fit into that um, that box that you've already framed for yourself. So if you are meeting women through cold approach, do it through friendships as well. Do, like, look, if you meet some women, hey, you might not be attracted to her. You know, that happens. A lot of women are not attractive. Most women I'm not attracted to, but yet some of my favorite female friends who I would always want to spend time with anytime they're available, I would never get romantic with them. You know, I'm not saying they're ugly. They're just not my type. But who cares if they're not your type sexually? That doesn't mean that you can't spend time with them as friends. So, you say you've got a lot of guy friends and that's basically who you hang out with. You've got a couple of attractive friends who you speak to about gender dynamics, but make more female friends. Spend more time around women, just in a friendship capacity, just to begin with. Now, especially high quality women, because if you do that, 
not only will you learn a lot, but you also be introduced to their friends who will also be high quality women. So that that's fantastic. Now, an often underused strategy is actually improving your male friendships, and that can be a way of meeting high-quality women. Now, let me explain what I mean here. If you're friends with really low-value, loser guys, complete no-hopers, they're not interested in self-growth, they're not interested in meeting women, uh, they're not ambitious, then these are the kind of guys who are not likely to have girlfriends. So, you're not likely to meet many fantastic women by hanging out with low-value dudes. But if you hang out with really cool, awesome dudes who are fun, interesting, kind, ambitious, then those are the kind of guys who are likely to have awesome girlfriends. And then you can hang out with them. You can chat to them. You can go to parties and then meet those girls as friends. That's fantastic. So while pickup and cold approach can work, it is really, really hard. It's not necessarily sustainable. It doesn't usually come with it like a well-established social circle. It takes a lot of effort to kind of create something like that. But the easiest way, just to be smart about it, is to get involved in social circles, the kind of circles of people where you're just effortlessly introduced to the kind of people that you want to spend time with. And I don't know if I've ever heard anybody give this advice, but it definitely, definitely will work is if you make a conscious effort to hang out with really cool, high-value guys. because that's the kind of circles that they roll with. Now, maybe you feel like some of these guys are, are too cool for you. Um, they're a high quality guy. Maybe you're not. Well, that's just more incentive to start developing yourself, become that awesome guy that other guys are going to want to hang out with, that they're going to want to speak to, do experiences with, ask advice from, all of that. So it really all comes back to self-improvement and personal responsibility. You've got a couple of difficulties with you. I'd say that you've made a couple of hints that you might be struggling a bit with your parents saying that there's a lot of pressure on you. I think you still live with your parents. Uh, logistically, you have to ride your bike to get into university. Obviously, that would be hard if you live like a long way away uh, from where people are, the kind of people you're going to be meeting. So that's tough. You know, you're not really at a stage where you're able to create your own lifestyle yet. And you mentioned that you're interested in saving money, which I can appreciate. Obviously, that makes sense. But if that's the case, you may not have a lot of success until you do actually start the start a job and, and enter the workforce because that's when you can have your own apartment. And honestly, it's night and day dating when you're still living with your parents as to when you have your own place. In terms of just the confidence you have as you're a man in the world, doing your own thing, paying your own way, it's also logistically so much easier to to go back there after a date or to just invite friends round, you know, for an evening to have some wine, play some board games, whatever it may be. When you've got your own place, you can craft it the way that you want. And with it comes huge practical ease and also a lot more confidence. So it may well be that you want to move that plan up like a little bit if you can afford it, or just be patient until you finish university and you really do start to create a life that's legitimately yours, not just the sort of... um the subplot of your parents' story. So that's basically all I've got to say in the end. You know, you're still young. I can understand why this is feeling particularly tough. You're not sure what's going to change, but I would very, very much caution against that kind of line of thinking of, 
Oh, I just need to accept my fate. No, fuck that. Your fate is not written. You're a young dude. You're obviously smart. You're listening to my channel. You've got plenty of opportunities ahead of you. There's absolutely no reason why you couldn't have an extremely fulfilling love life with a fantastic partner, a really high quality woman. You just got to be smart about it. And, and don't lose hope. Just keep one foot in front of the other and keep making those small improvements in your life. If every single day you're making your life a little bit better, a little bit cooler, a little bit higher quality, a little bit smarter, then by the time you're older, you have the life that you want. You know, you have high quality women around you. You have cool friends. You, you'll be sitting pretty, but you've got to do that work. And things don't come easy. Potentially, potentially it can be easy to get it down because it seems easy to other people. And to some people there is, we are not born equal. People are born and they're going to grow into different IQs. Some people are born gorgeous and beautiful. Some people are born really, really ugly. People are born happy with well-adjusted parents who treat them well. Some people are born into sexual and physical abuse. Some people are born rich. Some people are born poor. We are not born equal, and if you have had some some difficulties in your life, you know you've had to change countries. I don't know if you had to learn like a new language when you got there, but all these things they can they can pile up, and it's easy to just feel down because other people don't seem to be struggling in the way that you are, and you think, oh well, maybe this is just what's set for me. But with all of the inequality that does exist between people, there is way more that you are in control of. Whatever your upbringing, whatever your beginning was, what really, really matters for 80% of how your life is going to turn out are the steps that you take, the the choices that you make, the the things that you're consciously in control of. So hopefully what I've told you has been useful in some specifics, but even if just the energy of what I'm saying to you right now and trying to give you a pep talk of, brother, I'm with you. I hear you. It sucks. It's rough. I'm sorry. But please, for your own sake, do not lose hope. Keep going. It will get better if you put the work in. I honestly believe it. And the reason I believe it is I've seen it work, not just in my life, but in the lives of every person who's made conscious effort to make their next day, to make tomorrow better than yesterday. That's, that's, that's the key. So if you have any follow-up questions, uh, from this story, from this podcast, you just want to chat to me privately. Don't stress; just uh, hit me up through email, and we can chat further over there. Um, but that is it for everybody. Thank you so much to everybody for listening. Be sure to check out my Patreon. Any pledge that you're able to give me there would be hugely appreciated. I think it's fantastic that so many people will sit here and listen to me unedited, talking for God, I don't know how long has it been—like an hour, hour and a half. I'm not sure, but. It's wonderful. I love hanging out with you guys in this format. Thanks for listening. I will see you again next week.